0: If you spent any time in Cincinnati, you probably know the hulking white building with a tower on top that rises just west of I-75. In a city of architectural gems, the fortress-like Crosley Building in Cincinnati's Camp Washington neighborhood stands out for its size and its neglect. What might not be apparent gazing at the building is how much history-making took place there. This podcast is a story of how a now-empty building helped change the world, and how the fate of the neighborhood around it is tied up in its construction, its boom years, its decline, and efforts to resurrect it. This is Crosley at the Crossroads, how a Cincinnati landmark mirrors the fortunes of the city. I'm Nick Svortzel. The departure of the Crosley Company from the Arlington Street building didn't immediately end work at the site. As former Camp Washington resident Bob Story can attest, other companies filled the space for a time, and Story even worked in the building as a young adult. But those businesses became smaller and smaller, filling less of the space and employing fewer Camp Washington residents. Eventually, the building became entirely vacant. Story saw a similar situation play out across the neighborhood, a place once buzzing with life and friendship slowly emptied out. The coming of I-75 made matters even grimmer. You were here for a long time. Did you notice it changing?
1: noticed it changing as soon as I-75 went in.
0: Tell me about that. Oh, man.
1: They had, back on Coleraine Avenue, right where 75 is now, it went all the way through to Northside. All those houses got torn down, and I mean, it displaced probably a hundred people if not more.
0: I'm sure, yeah.
1: The Cincinnati Fire Department would have training sessions on these houses. And people would go up on these hills and whatnot and watch these houses burn. And they would have different, um, I guess you'd say, raffles as to when the roof was going to cave in, when this was going to cave in, when that was going to cave in. You could bet on it, so to speak. I'm just going to call it what it was. It was betting on when the right. roof's going to cave in. And they gave you a little ticket. And if your ticket was the right one, well, you won a little bit. I forget what it was. I know Dad won something one time, and he tickled pink. He thought he'd won a million dollars. <laughs> but it was just. Way it was, but shortly after that, the neighborhood just kind of went its separate way. Yeah. Uh, lower Camp Washington, especially. Why, I don't know. Yeah. I could never pinpoint why Lower Camp Washington disbanded the way it did. Yeah. You'd have thought it had been Upper Camp Washington.
0: Because that's was closer to where it happened, yeah. I guess. Yeah.
1: But this part of Camp Washington, Upper Camp Washington, kind of stayed close knit, tight all the way through it. Until probably the mid '70s, and then you could see a, just the kids that had grown up leaving. Yeah, it was just I don't want to live here anymore. Why I don't know. You still had Palval, you had Ryerson Steel down here, you had Overham uh, Rotor, you had uh, Lodge and Shipley, which is now Meyer. You had um, the meat packers, which. God, I drove up Massachusetts, I couldn't believe it. They're all gone, every one of them. All those places. Yeah. I mean, you could have whatever profession you wanted growing up in Camp Horson, you could have it.
0: Yeah, and then it went away. And it
1: just, it. I blame it on the interstate. I'm gonna blame it. I don't have anything that says yes, but I'm blaming it on that because that's when the neighborhood started going downhill.
0: Yeah, yeah. Was it hard to watch that?
1: It was devastating. I'll say that it was very, yeah, very devastating. I'm
0: sure, yeah. Because
1: yeah. there was times when we'd walk up the corner, and you'd look around and you knew he used to live here, and now he's no longer here. They tore his house down. Yeah. Now this guy's gone, and you'd see the house boarded up a month or two later. Sassafras Avenue, man, I'm telling you what, Sassafras went down quick. Really? Mid-70s. Everybody was moving out. Nobody wanted to move in. Yeah. You had absentee landlords that would buy the property. They'd let it run down. They'd tear it down.
0: Yeah.
1: You had all the foundries come around. they want to buy the house for whatever reason. they tear it down. The biggest part of Sassafras Avenue at one time was a parking lot for Crosley, uh, Lodge and Shipley, or not Lodge and Shipley, Powell, Val, the workhouse, and what used to be Valley View Park which is now the um, highway maintenance division some of those guys would park in that parking lot
0: gotcha yeah yeah so what was going on in the building the Crosley building here while all that was happening was it still active was there still stuff going on in the building
1: there was stuff going on in the building but Crosley kind of moved out about mid-sixties that's about when American advertising took over the lower level of it my sister-in-law worked for them for about a year and a half.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I actually worked for Amco Plastic, which was on the second level. You had uh, three or four other companies in there. You had a lot of small printing companies worked out of there. Probably a third of the amount of employees in that entire building.
0: Do you think that had something to do with maybe the neighborhood declining, too, is that uh, there were still employers, but they were employing smaller numbers of people?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely it did. Like I say, in late 50s, well, let's go back a little bit further now. Let's go right after the war. From 47 up to about 61, you could be born in this neighborhood and never have to leave. Right. People that were born 61, 62, they didn't have those opportunities.
0: Yeah, yeah. I
1: can't blame them for leaving. You didn't have the opportunity to stay Employers were downsizing because they didn't have the people to grab from the neighborhood. They would go, the employers would go to the schools, the high schools, and they would come around. You had Hughes High School, Aiken High School, Central, Quarter Tech. Hell, they'd even go to Walnut Hills and draw students. We've got this great opportunity for your apprenticeship. We've got this great opportunity for your apprenticeship. Man, it was like, you think the Army recruited? Let me tell you, the employers were all over. Now, Central and Quarter Tech was a technical vocational. They stopped coming up because they didn't need them. There was nobody, nothing to give you. I don't have that opportunity. We're yeah. downsizing. We're moving out. American Ad, they were a good place to work. They moved to Oakley before I graduated out of high school.
0: Yeah.
1: I graduated yeah. in 68, and they took over about 63. Yeah, They expanded so much that out the door they went.
0: Yeah. Talk to me about what it was like when you worked in the building. Like, what, what do you remember about that?
1: Oh, man. Working in that building was fabulous. Every great once in a while, somebody from the Crosley family would come in that building, and they'd just tour it. Yeah. Now, I can remember, see the tower up here at the top? Oh, yeah. That's where Powell Crosley had his radio. Yeah. But working in the building, to get back to actually working in the building, you felt part, at least I did, I felt part of that community of... Living, growing, and developing. Because you're making that employer money. You're working. You're here. He's paying you. You're doing your part to keep the neighborhood going. Yeah. That's how I felt about it. I mean, hell, I'd walk. I had to start at 7 Mm o'clock. I'd go out that gate. Six minutes ahead, go down. 6.54, I'd go down there. I'd be on time. For lunch, mom knew when I was coming— Launch was ready. Come in, sit down, eat my lunch and go back. It was like getting an hour. Yeah. In a thirty minute time frame.
0: Can't ask for a better commute, really. No. Yeah. Lord no. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Touring that building when you were a little kid, growing up in the shadow of this like radio legend, right? You had a pretty lengthy career yourself, right? <laughs> do you think that do you think in and, and I can still hear the radio voice, you still got this yeah. incredible radio voice. Do you think that had anything to do with you wanting to want to what you did?
1: Actually, it did.
0: You think? Yeah.
1: Going through that and going, WLW had a uh, a studio down on Elm Street, I believe it was, downtown Cincinnati. Peter Grant, a bunch of them, you could stand there and watch them through the glass. They had their outside speakers on, you could hear it. And I used to mimic them all the time.
0: Really? Yeah.
1: And then with music, I've always been musically drawn and musically inclined to different things.
0: So uh, what does it feel like when you come back to the neighborhood now, you know, and, and it's and heart, it's in heartbreaking. Yard. It's very yeah.
1: heartbreaking. And looking at this, I'm going to break down and cry, man. I remember how beautiful this place was. Yeah. Yeah. And to see it in the disarray that it's in now, and to see what Camp Washington Council has allowed for it to happen, it breaks my heart. I mean, I'm, I'm looking back here. I mean, I see things. I can look at the porch right now and I can see mom and Aunt Louise and everybody else sitting there as it was. Mom used to have flowers along the front here in the fence. When we moved here, it had the old wrought iron fences.
0: Yeah. What do, you, what do you hope for Camp Washington? What do, you, what do you want to see come out of this? There's talk about redeveloping this building into you know, housing that would be kind of affordable to working people, people who make a moderate income. I would um,
1: love to see not only the city, but the state of Ohio, come back to Cincinnati, not only Camp Washington, but the entire city and redevelop what they tore down, mm. redevelop what they promised to help with,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and give us what they took back, or what they took away from us, give it back.
0: When, when they built the highway?
1: When they built the highway. The interstate was not supposed to deter anything. It was supposed to help. You're gonna get to your job quicker. You're gonna have better expansion. You can get further places. Yeah, that didn't happen. Look what it did to Camp Washington. Look what it did to North Side. Look what it did to the West End. Look what it did to Mohawk. Look what it did to Clifton. And I've only named four. How many neighborhoods do we have in Cincinnati?
0: The story isn't unique to Camp Washington, of course. All across the country, urban industrial neighborhoods suffered as jobs moved away, residents left, highways tore through, and buildings became vacant. University of Cincinnati history professors, Dr. David Stradling and Dr. Anne Delano Steiner talk about deindustrialization in Cincinnati and America. So we talked to a a resident who was here in the 50s, Bob Story, who gave his very personal uh, sort of perspective on that. But in a broader sense, like this is something that I think you both are very familiar with. Can you Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that?
3: So, I have a little personal story to start with, which is that my dad grew up in Green Hills, Ohio, and my grandpa had a car. My my grandparents had one car, which um, my grandpa would take to work in Newport every day. So, my grandma and my dad and his sisters were basically stranded in Green Hills with no transportation. um, But there was a bus that went went Winton Road to Spring Grove all the way down and my, to downtown, which is where everything was. If you wanted to go to the dentist or the lawyer, do your shopping, it all happened in downtown. And so my dad remembers in his childhood, um, Spring Grove and, you know, and then Dalton street really being like the highway, like he calls it like, this was the highway when I was a kid. Um, yeah. And so it's a wide street, you know, it was made for, um, trucks could get in and out pretty easily, but all of that changes drastically when the the actual interstate highway appears and sort of the the center of gravity shifts away from a street with you know stopping where stoplights where you can pull into someone's business and um, actually you know participate in the life of the city by driving down that street versus a highway which is totally insulated and divided from the life of the city in this incredibly you know fast moving
0: Flow. Absolutely. And just a bit of context for listeners, Spring Grove runs directly to the west of, of um, the Crosley building, just like uh, you could chuck a rock at it from here. And then uh, 75 is, you know, maybe well, a few I hundred yards. can see it yards. out the window. Yeah, yeah. You can see 75 out the window. You can hear it probably on this recording if you listen closely enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that shift happens right around this building for sure. Uh, but uh, I
2: like the way that Ann says "out the window." It's
0: yeah, <laughs> there's not really a window. Out there. the
2: window, uh, yeah. uh, uh, what, where where the windows used to be?
0: Out the window frame. Exactly. Yes. Uh, David, you look like you had something yeah. Yeah. So I was
2: going to say that w- when we talk about the influence of the highways on the way that that cities function, we emphasize the way in which. Um, suburban areas are opened up, it becomes um, possible to imagine building homes in areas that were formerly farmland because now people will have access to the urban core, um, whether they go all the way downtown or to industrial neighborhoods like this. Um, So thinking about access, making uh, those areas not just attractive to build homes, but also making it possible. To build homes out there. Um, Something equally devastating to cities happens at the center, that these neighborhoods that are totally disrupted by the building of highways become less attractive for, uh, certainly for investment in uh, residential construction, um, and and lots of units are lost by the demolition that takes place to make way for uh, the highways. Obviously, the Lots of demolition had to happen for '75 to make its way through this valley, a very densely populated valley. A lot of the demolition that accompanies the construction of the highways was not necessary. Um, you know, cities take the opportunity to demolish uh, neighborhoods that they find problematic for one reason or another. So, lots of housing units get lost, um, and uh, overall, we we see the beginnings in the in the '50s and '60s. Uh, of lots and lots of population farther and farther from the center of the city.
3: And I just to put a finer part, point on it, David said, you know, neighborhoods that cities find problematic for whatever reason. And I would just say that that reason is very often racism. Um, and that a lot of that housing that got lost was specifically housing for African Americans who really didn't have very many other places to go. And so it, it it's a really problematic piece of America's built history to see that we literally chose what neighborhoods highways would go through based on where black people lived.
0: Yeah. There's yeah, a, there's a neighborhood
3: in St. Paul, Minnesota when you look at the map before the highway it's sort of um like a long elongated neighborhood and it and it says like largest negro section in town on the map and then the highway goes through and it literally bifurcates the entire length of this entire neighborhood they could have put that highway so many other places they could have skirted the edge of this neighborhood but instead they chose to go right through it and i would say the same is is kind of true of what happened in cincinnati there's I'm not an engineer, but I can't imagine that they couldn't have figured out a way how to move the highway to the edge of the West End at the Mill Creek rather than slice the, the West End literally into two pieces to put the highway through.
0: Yeah. Um, something else pretty devastating happens to Camp Washington over time, over a long period of time, and that's kind of like deindustrialization, right? And this is a story that's national, it's it happened in a lot of cities. But how specifically did it happen in Cincinnati? Uh, and, you know, the, the short version, because I know it's a very complicated and long <laughs> subject, but uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, the the impact the industrialization has on Cincinnati? Because mm-hmm. uh, I think Camp Washington felt it especially hard.
2: Right. Camp Washington really uh, becomes devastated by the movement of the meat industry altogether. Um, you know, Cons holds out for quite some time uh, and and, fi- and finally gives up what in the, gets purchased by Sarah Lee sometime around the Just turn of the really 21st recently, century. Right. Yeah. And then. Mm-hmm. And eventually, Sara Lee makes the decision that they don't need to do production here. But that's that's a, a long-term trend that that begins in the nineteenth century. Right, smaller and smaller fractions of the meat production in the United States are done uh, in East Coast cities, and are done f- uh, farther out toward uh, where where the cattle and, and pigs are actually raised. Um, so the movement of agriculture and and the ability to move those animals um, more easily um, when they're already they've already been turned into saleable products. It means that Cincinnati just can't compete on a large scale any longer, and that affects uh, Camp Washington directly. And I think buildings like this um, become much less attractive to um, any industrialists, right? It's difficult to imagine another industry deciding to move into a what's basically a vertical manufacturing building, which... Um, you know, the, there are very few industries that would want, you know, an arrangement like this, regardless of the elevator technology that you have. Um, one of the things that highways do is is open up not just, uh, you know, farm fields for the use of housing, but also for um, very spacious industrial plants that... Um, are, are vertical t- rather um,
3: than horizontal, yeah. Horizontal rather I mean, than hor- vertical, oh, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> Sorry.
2: The The way in which the, you know, the it's not and it's not just assembly lines. we think that it's that it's about assembly lines, but it's it's just more efficient to do almost any kind of work on one level if you can do it that way um, and and not pay for the cost of moving things up and down.
0: Yeah, and so the highway opens up the opportunity to have all this sort of cheap land that's out there that you can just build an enormously long building on. And you don't really need to stack things eight stories high anymore, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. yeah and Makes- you don't
3: need to make your whatever you manufacture in small enough bits that you can fit it in the elevator to take it up and down. Uh, so you can yeah. create larger products and just put them out the loading dock onto the truck. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you look at maps from the 19th and early 20th century, Camp Washington is really connected up to the hillsides of Clifton and to has access to neighborhoods like where UC is. And... and You know, it has the Mill Creek on one side, but it flowed into the rest of the city, um, Brighton and Mohawk and these other neighborhoods, pretty seamlessly until the highway really isolated it. So the highway kind of creates this long, narrow strip that is what we now know as Camp Washington. And so our experience of Camp Washington today is very different than this sort of integrated neighborhood or neighborhood integrated into the city that we would have known. Like, you know, I don't know if you remember Camp Washington Elementary School. It was right on Hopple Street. It was this gorgeous historic school building that um, people could access from sort of like the neighborhood where, um good samaritan hospital is today would have would have fed directly into this huge beautiful elementary school which was one of the vocational tech centers for 7th and 8th grade in the whole city like it it was central and today it's so cut off
0: deindustrialization left neighborhoods like Camp Washington destabilized and remaining residents were cut off from resources jobs and services buildings like the Crosby building languished becoming completely abandoned In the next episodes, we'll talk about what has risen up to fill the void. This podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Nick Swartzell. Editor, recording engineer, and assistant producer is Josh Elstro. Original music is by Josh Elstro and Leo Murcia. This is a project created by Action Tank USA, a nonprofit partnering with artists to research and promote public policy solutions at the local government level. Action Tank proudly presents this project in partnership with our marketing partner, WVXU, Cincinnati's local NPR affiliate. This project was made possible with the generous support of the Greater Cincinnati Foundation and the W.E. Smith Foundation.